Bible, if you would please be thinking about this. In our Sunday school class, we are studying uh, the gifts of the Spirit. We've been looking at that no gift uh, that any of us have as we operate it to edify and build up Psalm 139. The body of Christ is more important than another, but I am so thankful for those who have the gift to sing and they use it. Uh, they change our services. How many of you been to that? I remember these days, little but I married a pianist, so wherever I go, we can have music in the church. Isn't that something? Uh, I didn't have that on my list, but I'm glad God directed that way. Uh, but I think this, and I want to thank my wife, is over special music, and I want to thank each and every one of you that is involved with special music for your time and your ability that you come and give to the Lord in, in the service of our church. Psalm 139. I want you to look to the screen, Brother Rogers, if you'll put that up there. We're talking about an hour we're spending with God in prayer. And we're breaking this down, 12 five-minute increments. Uh, we've looked at praise as we begin our prayer with praise. We've looked at waiting tonight. We're going to look at confession and how that ought to be a part. We're basing this on the disciples' prayer, the model prayer, the Lord's prayer in the book of Matthew. But I want to start tonight in Psalm 139. Uh, 
And would you stand with me, please, as we read the Word of God? We're going to read verse 23 and 24 together. This is David's prayer. This is our prayer oftentimes as we come to the Lord. Uh, would we read both of these together in unison uh, together? Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Read together, please. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father, um, I thank you for the spirit that's already evident in the services tonight. I thank you for you coming and visiting with us. I pray you'd help us in the teaching hour tonight. Uh, that we might put one more element together in our prayers to you. Teach us the importance of confession and being right before you. And so, Father, speak to our hearts from thy word. And that is our prayer tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What we've learned so far, we're going to begin this first hour, five minutes, in praise. And what we're doing when we praise is we recognize God's nature. And we praise Him for that nature as we pray back to Him. Last week we looked at this waiting. That's hard for many of us to do. In this waiting period, our soul is going to be surrendered to the Lord... And we are going to come and be quiet before the Lord and let His Spirit speak to us. Oftentimes, I find out in my own prayer that it's during that time that God changes the nature and makeup of my prayer. Now tonight, we're going to look at this. So having honored God with vocal praise and silent love, we find a new door now opens for truly effective prayer. I ask you this, James talks about it in chapter 5 of the book of James, verse 16. He says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, gathers much, gains much, gets much. How many of you, when you pray, you want to know that God is hearing and answering your prayers? That is my heart. So how can we do that? We have another element. And again, I shared with you some of my favorite authors uh, you can't go wrong with any book on prayer that Ian e. Bounds writes. Uh, Ian e. Bounds is awesome. Uh, I doubt if you can get uh, your hands on S.D. Gordon. I think, to my knowledge, he printed one book on prayer. Uh, one of the most fantastic books I have in my library, S.D. Gordon's work on prayer. But then also, if you can find Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray is a great read on prayer. And many of these lessons we'll read from Andrew Murray... Andrew Murray said this, God cannot hear our prayers because of the desire or desires of our heart after the world cry out to him much stronger and louder than our desires for him. So ask yourself tonight, when you go to God in prayer, is your heart's desire for God stronger than your heart's desires for the things of the world? And if that's the case, then we like David should ask God to examine our heart. Awareness of our failures buffets our minds, Andrew Murray says, as we pray. Suddenly we feel hopelessly unworthy of offering our petitions to God. Sometimes I believe this is the work of Satan that puts a spotlight on the areas that we have sinned and faltered and failed in that week. Sometimes it's a work of the Holy Spirit where he reminds us that we need to get that right and confess it to God. To combat these spiritual forces, we must claim the promises of God that deal with confession of sin. I'm going to mention one tonight. Would you say it with me? We should all have committed these verses to memory. 1 John, this verse to memory. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there is a particular sin or sins that you have truly confessed before God, don't let Satan remind you of that sin and bring it back up. It's under the blood. It's removed as far as the east from the west. He throws it behind his back to remember it no more. And so remember that. If unrighteousness renders our prayers ineffective, then confession is the solution to the problem of sin guilt in prayer. I'm going to say that again. If unrighteousness renders our prayers ineffective, then confession is the solution to the problem of sin guilt in prayer. So now let's get 
a biblical definition to confession. What does confession mean? We were joking with somebody after church today that, that uh, they have a Catholic friend and, and they said, they had said that they went uh, with that friend to some kind of an outing or whatnot. We were talking about confession of sin and, and money that is paid for it to have your sins removed. Uh, I say this to you, all sin should never be confessed to a man, should only be confessed to God uh, through, through Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and man, who is it? This man, Christ Jesus. But what is true confession? The New Testament word for confess means to agree with God. So when I look at my sin and the Holy Spirit convicts me of that sin... I agree with God about the nature and the cause of that sin. And we mean to agree with God, to admit my guilt before God. In other words, what it means is seeing your sin as God sees it. Let me encourage you with this. When you go to bed at night or whatever time, and the best time to confess sin is immediately when you've sinned. Don't wait. Don't carry that sin throughout the day. The Holy Spirit convicts us about that sin immediately. When we sin, confess it immediately. Don't carry that. But if you wait and you go to bed at night and you, you pray for and you confess your sin, don't do it this way. Father, forgive me of all of my sins. We got them one at a time and we should see them as God sees them. And we should name them back to him. Father, forgive me for my unforgiveness. Father, forgive me for my temper and anger that I lashed out. Father, forgive me for a thought that I had that was not a holy thought. The Holy Spirit will remind us and confess those sins back to God. At no other time in prayer does the believer look so carefully at their own spiritual growth as during confession. You want me to tell you if you're growing in the Lord? Look at the confession of your sin. Confession is a heartfelt recognition of our mistakes and our sin and guilt before God. Somebody said it this way, we should think less about what we do and more about what we ought to be. When we confess our sin, we understand what we did, but we should, and we'll look at this in just a moment, like David, look deeper. Why did we do what we did? And we'll look at that, what we ought to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a, if you want to mark, I put this and I begin to type in some of my own notes, some red, uh, some statements in red that remind me of the important parts of these messages. Here's one. My prayer life will never rise above my personal life in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. My prayer life will never rise above my personal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want our prayer life to be effective, then our walk with God has to be effective, has to be cleansed, it has to be right. Uh, if my, look at Psalm. Who can quote? Let's, it's a Bible study tonight. Who can quote for me Psalm 66, 18? All right, so now let's look at this. You raised your hand, preacher. I want my prayers to be heard and answered of God or by God. So do I. So one of the things we have to understand is not to hold on to those sin. If my personal life touches too much of the world, my prayer life suffers. If my personal life touches too much of the part of the world, then my prayer life suffers. And Brother Jeff is right in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard, that word regard, it means keep to my own. It means I'm going to harbor it. I'm going to keep it close to me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, what? Will not hear me. According to the scriptures then, there's no effective prayer life where and when sin grips the life of the believer. The truth of the matter is, in Christ we all sin. True? We all sin. Matter of fact, 1 John says, if any man said he does not sin, he is a liar, he lies, and the truth is not in him. I called you out when a pastor was trying to illustrate a truth like this, and he said this, he said, nobody in this auditorium 
could stand and say they know somebody that has not sinned, can you? And a man stood. And he said, sir, you know who, you know somebody who hasn't sinned and was perfect and righteous and holy? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, who was that? And, she, and he said, my wife's first husband. <laughs> you understand where that goes. Uh, sometimes when we compare with one another, we're not wise. So think about this. Now watch this. What is the spiritual solution? Sometimes in our life, we have to conduct spiritual surgery. This act of declared admission, admission before God, gives God access into the heart of the believer, removing all the hindrances to prayer. If you go back to Psalm, Psalm 139 here, watch what David said. Search me, O God. He's opened himself up. I want you to look in my heart and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the life everlasting. Harold Lindell, another good author on prayer, writes this. Just as the surgeon lances a boil to permit the infection to drain and to heal from the inside, so confession opens the sore and drains the poison and heals me spiritually from the inside. Have you ever, I'm not to try to get gross on you, but we do have some nurses in here. Have any of you ever had a boil that had to be lanced? That's painful. When I was a young lad, I had one in my ear. Didn't know what it was. I still remember to this day when my dad took me to the doctor and that doctor with no numbing to lance that boil and open now so my ear could heal. How are we going to heal spiritually? Through confession of sin, agreeing with God, admitting to God, when we examine our hearts, the things that are not right before God, it's like lancing that sore, that boil, and the poison that would poison our spiritual life and our walk with God is drained out. There can be no healing within until there's confession from without. I ask you this tonight. What is the seriousness of this third part of prayer? I believe this, and I mean this honestly. I have never seen a time in our nation when God's people should be praying. We have some evil forces willing and able and trying to bring our nation down. The survivability of our nation depends on God's people being able to pray. What about your family? Is there anyone in this auditorium tonight that's somewhere, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, a spouse may understand this. If you were God and if you could get the, the ear of God to intervene in your situation, what would you ask God to do? There are some families in this church tonight that God hearing and answering your prayer and you need God and we need God is largely dependent on our uh, uh, willingness to confess our sin. What about our church? I've said this to you. I have never known in the history of our church as many people that need us to pray for them. Phil and Mary, we're not back today. Brother Phil, soon we'll start five rounds of chemotherapy and five rounds of radiation simultaneously. On an 87-year-old man, it's going to take his toll. His wife is under hospice care. There at home where Lucy is so good to come and help with with Pearl Allard, Pearl Allard, and I mean this honestly, if you know Pearl, you love Pearl, I believe we have a very limited amount of time that we can speak to her, love on her a little bit, and go and visit her. Soon she'll be in heaven, and that's where she wants to be. Yesterday, we kind of changed the soul winning group because we saw a little window of time with Pearl and the staff, and, and Becky got her guitar, and we just went to try to be a blessing try to sing some songs and have a little mini church service with Pearl there in the north. Then we went from there to George and Ferns. Brother and Mrs. Zane are laboring. I think it was, who was it? Uh, Brother Lou was there uh, last week and, and let us know about that. They're laboring. 
Mike and Michelle were back today and doing better, and we're grateful for that. But Wally and Rebecca are laboring. Nancy Ehart is laboring. We have so many people in our church, and, and, and they need us to pray. And sometimes they are weak physically. And when sometimes when we're weak physically, we're weak spiritually. Our church is dependent on our, the prayer lives of the people in the church. The answers to these prayers are determined by my spiritual well-being. Before we can change in circumstances, we should pray for a change in character. That's what David's praying. Not just, Father, forgive me, but change me. Before we have a change in circumstances, we have a change in character. As Christians, our primary goal in prayer is the glory of God by changing the world around us. How can a holy God pour himself through a believer's life that is clogged with the debris of the world? This time of confession is one of the most important times in our prayer life. God does spiritual surgery. He empties us of the poisons of hatred and unforgiveness and jealousy. He empties the poison, spiritual poisons of, uh, of comparison and, and, and pride and arrogancy. And through the Holy Spirit of God, when he signs his searchlight onto our heart, we're willing to, as did David, ask God to search our heart. And he gives us the understanding of what's on our heart. He does a work. Example in scriptures, a careful study of scriptures reveal how important truly confession is. We don't have time to turn there. Isaiah 6 says something like this. Isaiah the prophet says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord holy and lifted up. Now watch this. If you, if you were to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, he says something like this. He said, When he saw God, he said, Woe is me. God helped Isaiah to see there are some things. You're one of my prophets, and I want to use you. And, but here's the thing. Isaiah first understood there were some things in his heart that needed to be confessed before God. Long before the angel takes the coals off of the altar and places them on the lips of the prophet, long before Isaiah confesses to him, Here am I, send me, he dealt with what was wrong in his life. Go further. Not just Isaiah. I want you to look in your Bible, Daniel chapter 9. I want you to see something. If we could be like anybody in the Bible, we would want to be like Daniel. Let me ask you this. Those who know you best, if they wanted to get some dirt on you, how hard would it be? Because the princes, evil princes that wanted to bring Daniel down looked and looked and looked and looked for something and they could not find, him, uh, find it other than that he served his God and prayed to his God three times daily. I tend to believe if somebody wanted to get dirt on Pastor Rogers, it wouldn't be very difficult. But I want to show you something that we sometimes overlook. Look at Daniel chapter 9. So Daniel had an excellent spirit and how God used him in a mighty way and what an impact he had on a wicked king. But look at verse number chapter 9 and if you'll follow me, look at verse number 20 and 21. And while, back up to verse 19. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And while I was speaking and praying, now watch this, and what? And confessing my sin, and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in my prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Did Daniel have a heavenly visit here? 
Did God send His heavenly messenger and tell Daniel some things that, that we're even sorting out today about end-time prophecy? When did Isaiah see the need to say, Here am I, Lord, send me, after he confessed sin? When did Daniel get a visit by a heavenly visitor and God showed him some things about end-time prophecy? It was after Daniel confessed his sin. Do you see how vitally important this is for you and for me? The necessity of confession. I want you to go to Isaiah. You're in Daniel. Go back to Isaiah, if you would, please. Chapter number 59. The necessity of confession. Isaiah chapter 59. I want you to read verse 1 and 2 together. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot hear. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, cannot save, I'm sorry. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Watch this. Verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The necessity of confession, can I say this to you? Confession is not optional if we desire spiritual growth. I'm going to say it again. Confession is not optional. If we desire spiritual growth, if we desire God to take that heavenly lancet and to boil, to place back and to, to, to parse that boil and let the poison of our heart pour out so that He can hear and answer our prayer, confession is not optional. It's something that must be in our prayer life and in our daily prayers before God. Before we will ever willingly turn from our sin, we must first admit that we have sinned. Charles Spurgeon said this. He was preaching based on Exodus chapter 8, verse 8. Do you remember, go with me, the plagues that visited God sent? He pronounced them through Moses to Pharaoh. Moses was God's messenger, much like the Lord Jesus Christ. When the frogs came, Pharaoh go, went to Moses and said, Why don't you entreat your God for our sake that he removed the frogs in Exodus 8, verse 8? Spurgeon, listen to what Spurgeon says about that request. There was a fatal flaw in Pharaoh's prayer. It contained no confession of sin. He goes on further. A prayer without penitence is a prayer without acceptance. If no tear has fallen upon it, it is withered and dies. There must be confession of sin before God our prayer is faulty. When we are confessing our sins before God... I would say this to you, beware of the little sins. We call them little sins. I never saw this before until I went to Chicago. If you go to Chicago and you go on what they call the Dan Ryan Expressway, any of you been there at all? You've driven through Chicago and that Dan Ryan Expressway, eight lanes each direction, busy, busy city of almost 10 million people, I believe, is the population. I saw something for the first time I'd ever seen in my life like they have in Chicago, like they have in New York, a city and other places. They have subways. Years ago, somebody callously was drinking a soda pop and threw their can in front of a train, a subway train that was coming. And that, that can, that tin can, that metal can, hit just right where it needed to hit, and it shorted out the electrical circuit for the entire subway. 55 train cars were stopped. 175,000 people, their schedule was changed, and they were stranded because the carelessness of somebody just taking a soda pop can and throwing it in front of an oncoming train. Child of God, we don't know those little things that we do. We don't think a lot about them. But can I encourage you with this? Those things that seem to be little to us are big to a holy God. Now, let's look at this. Let's look at the how of confession. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David had just been visited by Nathan the prophet. Nathan had just gone and told him a story about Psalm 51, about a man who had many sheep 
And that man looked out, the man with thousands and thousands of sheep, looked at a man who had one little ewe lamb. And that man with many sheep took that man's little ewe lamb. And Nathan, David was enraged, and Nathan said this, What shall be done to that man? And David said, That man should die. And Nathan the prophet looked at the man of God and said, Thou art the man. You could have any woman in Israel that you wanted. Uriah had one wife, and you lusted after her, and you took her, and you had her husband killed. Thou art the man. In Psalm 51, David finally gets his heart right before God. In verse number 1, he says, Have mercy on, upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercy. Now watch what he does. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Do you see how that David's no longer playing with his sin? Do you hear, do you see this is true confession to agree with God and to see that sin as God sees it? Now David is doing that. He's come clean before God. Now look at verse number 10 and 11. Now David, after he confessed his sin, is asking God to change him from the man that committed those sins. Look at verse number 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now let me ask you this. I mean this sincerely. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to placate this. Do you sometimes just wake up in a foul mood? Is there anybody like that? Would you raise your hand and help me? I do that sometimes. <clears throat> Kathy did something years ago for me, and I love it because sometimes I'm making hospital visits and whatnot, and maybe I don't want to put a necktie on. She embroidered some shirts for me that have the name of our church and the emblem, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. I think sometimes, a couple of times when I've been dressed in the week with those shirts, I realized my attitude was kind of not good. I was snappy. I was a little bit grouchy. Don't talk to Kathy about this, Miss Rogers about this. I was a little bit grouchy. And then the Lord reminds me, remember what shirt you're wearing today. David said, they're creating me a clean heart of God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Let's delve into this. What is David asking for here? Number one, David cries out, first of all, for divine holiness. Look at what he says. He says, they're creating me a clean heart, a righteous heart, a heart that loves God. A heart that does not that does not lust after another man's a wife, and a heart that does not that get angered uh, towards the wrong things. And God created me a clean heart. And here's where confession begins. And here's how confession continues. We ask God to give us, uh, or we cry out for divine holiness. And then secondly, we cry out for divine attitude. Created me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. I saw this the other day. Somebody, I've seen this car before. Maybe some of you have seen it. We had the exact same car. How many of you driving around Pueblo somewhere have seen a, I think it's early 70s model. It's in very good shape. It's a Buick station wagon. It's an estate wagon. It's white in color. Has some accent. Have any of you seen that at all? I've seen this car again and again. And for a time, that's, that we didn't have the minivan. And we have a large family. How many of you, you grew up with a station wagon? Somewhere, somehow, you, you rode in. You, did any of you own a station wagon for your family? And you drove, really? All right. Did they all have three seats? Did they all have three seats? I think I have mom and daddy's seat. Were, that, were the front seats, weren't they usually, Brother Paul? Wasn't that a, ben, a, a, a bench seat? The front seat, you could put three little rascals up. Well, mom and dad and another little rascal. Uh, and watch it. And then the back seats, and then they had another back seat. 
I remember this one. I don't know what year Buick did this. They reversed that back seat where you didn't have to look at your brothers and sisters. And you fought for that back seat because you didn't want to look. You didn't want to look at your... Uh, this is my bad attitude coming out. My sister sat in front of us, and they never were ready for church on the way to church, so they finished getting ready on the way to church. And back then, I called an Ant Hill hairdo. The ladies put this, I don't she ratted her hair and put, ratted her hair, takes hairspray, ratted her hair, and it just, it just grew. She grew six inches by the time we got to church. And you choked on that hairspray. Dad, make her stop spraying that stuff in the car. You know, it's better if you don't have to look at that. So the brothers would get the back seat and turn around and just look out that back window. Do you remember? The, I don't know if all of them had them. They had that crank down back window. Wasn't that cool? That was awesome. All of a sudden, I wanted to take a ride in a station wagon when I saw that this week. But I remember one time, I don't know where my dad picked this up. A lot of kids in that station wagon, we're fighting and scrapping, coming to church or whatnot, or we're going into town. And he'd say this, attitude check. No, really. And we'd have to shout, praise the Lord. Can you try this? Can you try and shout, praise the Lord, when you're grouchy? Praise the Lord. <laughs> or you're angry or you're upset. And my dad would, and it always, he came at the wrong time. Attitude check, praise the Lord. Huh? David says, Lord, I want you to work with my attitude. Help me not only to have a divine holiness, but divine attitude. When David's first petition concerns a right relationship with God, a clean heart, this petition concerns a right relation with, relationship with God, a renewed spirit. Unless our spirit towards others is one of forgiveness, God will not hear our prayers. But preacher, they hurt me. I understand. I've been there. Leonardo da Vinci was painting the Last Supper for the first time. He got the first of the disciples that he painted was Judas. He imagined in his heart what Judas looked like. He painted Judas with an evil face. When he finished painting Judas, the night was over and he retired. That night he could not sleep. The next day he was to paint the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He said this in his own testimony. He said, I got up to paint the face of Jesus and I couldn't paint. I was, my eyesight was unbelievably blurred. He thought it was because he hadn't slept that night. So another night he goes back to sleep and he goes back to paint the face of our Savior in the Last Supper painting the second time. And again, his eyesight was strangely blurred. He could not paint. That night when he went to bed, this thought came across him. You painted an evil face on Judas. Remove the face and I'll clear your eyesight. And the next day, Leonardo da Vinci repainted Judas's face to a face that was pleasant. And the following day, he painted the face of our Savior. You say, preacher, that's a, what are you giving us that for? I think about this, and you, you think about this. Bitterness towards others drains our ability to, to see God's power in our prayer life. The great danger in having enemies, you think about this, is not what they may do to us but what we may allow them to do to ourselves. I saw this. You've seen this plaque before. When you go to bed at night, give your problems to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. Somebody told me this one time. When somebody hurt or injured me, and I couldn't, I wasn't sleeping over it. He said, you know what, Brother Rogers, they're sleeping fine. What are you keeping yourself up for? 
our enemies sometimes what they allow us to do to ourselves. Our hearts are filled with bitterness towards others. Then David confessed his need for divine guidance. Go back here. Created me a clean heart, that's divine holiness, and renew a right spirit within me, divine attitude. Now watch this. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from thy presence. David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He talked about how the shepherd guides him and leads him. I ask you this, one of our special faithful men in our church had a private moment before church and he was sharing with me how God directed them and guided him in a very important decision in his life. Is that important to you that God guides you? We need divine guidance. And then he looks for this divine unction. David cries out for divine unction. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now let's get a, a theological aspect to this. Can the Holy Spirit of God ever be taken from a child of God? Cannot. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Could it in the Old Testament? Did the Holy Spirit come on Samson and then off Samson? Did the Holy Spirit sometimes come, go on a person in the Old Testament and then off of that person? So this is Old Testament, but David is saying this, and think about this. It is not possible for the believer today to pray this prayer, not to take the Holy Spirit from me, because the, believer moves per, the Holy Spirit moves permanently in the believer's life. This is to admit that without the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we do not expect God to place His desires in us. So that confessed sin, if I'm not willing to confess it, see it as God sees it, ask God to change my attitude and make me like Him and holy and to change my direction in life, then the Holy Spirit is not able to bring into our heart the desires of God. Look in 2 Chronicles as we close tonight, chapter 29. In the Old, Old Testament, from time to time, the temple needed to be cleansed. Second Chronicles chapter 29. I want you to look, if you would. In verse number 16. And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord. To what? To cleanse it. And brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the courts of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Where is the temple of the Lord today? According to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, you and I are the temple of the living God, the temple of the Lord. And just as the Old Testament temple, occasionally, from time to time, our Lord did that even in the New Testament, took a whip and drove the money changers from the temple. Just as that, that physical building, just as that holy place, from time to time needed to be cleansed, so it is with you and me. If we want God to hear and answer our prayers, yes, we start with praise, and then we go to waiting. But then when we come to this time of confession, and He reveals, His Holy Spirit reveals something in our heart that needs to be confessed. I hear people say this to me, so, Preacher, God is not hearing my prayers. God is not answering my prayers. We have a God that hears and answers prayers. Could there be some things that we're unwilling to confess. Confession is a time of great spiritual cleansing. Today, the dwelling place of God is in our body, and confession is necessary to our private prayer because it initiates the cleansing of the temple of God, our spiritual temper, temple. We close with this tonight. Confession in prayer is that final step that leads to confident praying. Remember this as we started with the first part of this lesson tonight. If when we go to God in prayer, the truth of the matter is God reads our hearts and our hearts are stronger, the desires of our heart are stronger towards the things of the world than they are the things of God, our prayer is not ready to be heard and answered. 
when we do business as David did in Psalm 139 and Psalm 51. We need to do business with God and confess, admit to God those need of our heart. We ask His forgiveness. We pray for Him to change us. We pray that, that that Holy Spirit would come and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we yield to Him. We can begin the first step of confident praying before God. Would you stand please, Father? Help us tonight. Lord, we all this week will falter and fail and sin. I pray that you would convict us of that sin. And Father, we don't, we certainly do not go to a man or a person to confess our sin. We can confess our sin the moment we commit that sin by bowing ahead, bowing our heart, and asking you on the spot to forgive us. And Father, I pray that you do spiritual surgery in all of our lives. Would you help us to see that disease, that illness that is growing in our spiritual temple? And would you, through your spirit and the conviction of your word, would you just do spiritual surgery and drain that poison off so that we might be effective in our prayers? You might hear our prayers once again. You have told us in your word that if we regard iniquity in our heart, that you will not hear us. May we be serious about confessing our sin before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to start that prayer time with God through praise. We're going to praise back to Him the nature of God and His character. We're going to thank Him for who He is. We're going to praise His holy name. And then we're going to surrender our soul before Him as we wait and just wait before God. Listen for His Spirit to speak. Don't say, this is wordless praying. We said this a couple weeks ago. We're going to praise. We're going to wait. But then in that waiting time, if God convicts us of some things in our life that are not right before Him, and we desire for our prayer to be confident, and that God will hear and answer our prayer, we must confess to agree with God, to admit, to be willing to deal with the sin of our heart. And then may we ask God for His holiness to be instilled in our character. We may, ask, may we ask God to work in our attitude, attitude we might have towards our mate, attitude we might have towards another church member, attitude we might have towards somebody who's hurt us or harmed us. I wonder where and when we stop taking serious this idea of confession and confessing our sins before God. To cry out to God for divine holiness, to cry out to God for a divine attitude, to cry out to God for divine guidance. What is your prayer tonight? Some are coming, some are praying. We're not going to hold the invitation long. If God's spoken, you come tonight. attention there have been these types of things and not this drastic necessarily I've told you before about the pastor when I was in Bible college their oldest daughter and this is during the time way back when when uh, tonsillectomy was major surgery his daughter went in for a simple procedure to have her tonsils removed and as soon as the surgeon made his first incision, she began to hemorrhage, to bleed to death. He came very hurriedly to our pastor that was in the waiting room, and he said, Reverend, if you can pray, you better pray now. Your daughter is dying. I ask you this, how would you pray if your son or daughter were dying? And you knew that quite possibly your prayer needed to be heard of God so that he could intervene in that situation. Our pastor said he found a little chapel there and he fell to his knees and he began to ask God to heal his daughter, but he couldn't pray. 
because as he prayed, God reminded him the last church that he went to, the last thing that happened when he left that church was he and one of the deacons got in a fallen out and he had never asked that deacon to forgive him. He promised the Lord, if you'll spare the life of my daughter, the first thing I will do when I get off of my knees is call that deacon. And he did. And God did. I'm just saying this for all of us. We may not have a son or daughter on a deathbed. But I mean this. A nation needs to hear the prayers of God's people. Your family and mine need to hear the prayers of God's people. Our church family needs to hear. the. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe the only reason Michelle Roth was back here with us today is because God's people prayed. I heard the doctor say. I heard what the doc. I talked to Brother Tom, your sister, in the hospital. I did not know this. Michelle's father had gone through the same surgery and soon passed away. There was fear in that family's heart as we sat in that waiting room. I was there when the doctor said, listen, she's going to come out. She's going to go into ICU. She will be in ICU a minimum of one week. She will be hospitalized for two weeks. Make accommodations. Michelle never went into ICU. She went straight out of surgery, straight into recovery. And inside of a week, she was home. I'm not saying the battle's over, but I'm saying this, Rebecca, I look about that for your sister. I look around this congregation and I see where people here, people in this church prayed when you had a need and God heard and God answered prayer. Brother Donald, we were going to a hospital room, were we not, Barb? That day to remove from a breathing tube, had been on a breathing tube as long as he could breathe it, be on. God, would you, would you work? What a wonderful job God did. What a wonderful work God did. We have so many answers to prayer all over our congregation. I'm going to say this to you. Not just those I've met. I'm not going to go into many of the people that are right here tonight. Need a lady to pray with a lady. A man to pray with a man. And get a hold of God. And it is based on. The first step in that spiritual prayer and getting a hold of God, are we willing to confess before God the sin of our heart?